0: This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute, the global public square for the business of space. Join us at interastra.space. There is two parts of the times that I like. First of all, and I think it's very clear, and I saw it now being, being in isolation for some, some uh, days and so-called having time. I, I think that time is the most and maybe the unique democratic element in your life everybody in the world has exactly the same time in day and i think it's quite good because that doesn't make that you can change this so make out of your time the rhythm the best the worst what you do but you'll have always this famous 24 hours so that's also something that it's an honor somewhere to measure this to measure that times is passing
1: I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever-inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you, and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplorers.com. Welcome to part two of my conversation with CEO of Omega Watches, Mr. Reynold Eschelman. If you haven't already, you might like to listen to the first part of our conversation, where you'll discover his origin story— which is a tale of the watchmaker's grandson rising from college-age jobs in factories to becoming a global CEO, all the while staying within a few miles of his small hometown. In this second part, we'll explore his passion for mechanical watches, the artistry of timekeeping, and the pure democracy of time, our most precious commodity. You've also said, I know you... You are in love with mechanical watches, yes. maybe maybe all the way back from that month you spent with that master watchmaker. But you've said they should, watches should always be mechanical. And of course, Omega's got the distinction of being the most vertical watch brand in the world, having been worn on the moon and taken by at least by Victor Vescovo and me to the deepest point in the world's ocean. And I've really been intrigued with that notion and thought about it a lot. Will Omega someday be on Mars?
0: Yeah, we are working hard, very hard. And we have very clearly, and I'm sure you're one of these incredible human beings of having had the chance to be in space. And congratulations for that. I'm, I'm always very, very amazed about also the hard work and, and the emotion and, and to be able to meet you know, people that had this chance of looking back to us and talk about our... Earth. It's it's clear that that for us, the legacy of being on the wrist of so many astronauts makes us kind of a, it's something that it's not even a discussion. It's a dedication. We are dedicated to uh, space exploration. We are dedicated to bringing every single service on that. I call it one of the most inspiring, still today, project projects in the whole of, uh, of the humanity. Looking up, you know, inspiration is about looking up as a small kid, as an athlete looking up to the ones that are winning a gold medal at the Olympics, as a no-man-being looking up at the moon, looking up to the sky and thinking about, you know, how much inspiration this would be. has always been there. And I forgot to mention what you've done, what Victor has done, going also deep down, bottom of of this this planet. It's something that makes us not only proud, but also dedicated to make it happen anytime where it's happening. And that was one of the most interesting words. And he said it many times that every time I met with Buzz, Buzz always thinks and dreams and explains about the next level, the next one, and it is very often Mars. And we had long discussion about this incredible dream that somebody like him, you might think, would not have because he's been already on the moon. But it's very clear that for us, always our duty, our mission, and I call it almost a military mission, is to be at the service and to develop. As we've done with the X-33, with many, many of the watches as the moon watch made it into being the first watch worn on the moon and saved Apollo 13, the the astronauts. I think it's our duty and our mission, and it's a military order from me at Omega, to develop everything we can for the next chapter of this incredible story. As I mentioned, one of the most incredible and most valid and most important the story of the of humanity, not because only of the technological side. I truly believe also about the emotional and the inspirational why. So we are working very hard. We have a great, great, great project that will be able to talk very soon, yes.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, explorers don't stop exploring just because they got to one unique place that, and maybe people write the most headlines about that one place, but that doesn't make them stop exploring. No. If we can let's let's shift gears a little bit again. I'm I'm curious about how you actually think about in your own life, what's your relationship with time? Do you do you manage time? Do you contain time? What is the meaning of time to you in in terms of a factor in life? Time itself.
0: For me it's there is two parts of the times that I like. First of all, and I think it's very clear, and I saw it now being, being in isolation for some, some uh, days and so-called having time. I, I think that time is the most, and maybe the unique democratic element in your life. Everybody in the world has exactly the same time in day. And I think it's quite good because that doesn't make that you can change this. So make out of your time the rhythm, The best, the worst, what you do, but you'll have always this famous 24 hours. So that's also something that it's an honor somewhere to measure this, to measure that time is passing. On the other side, time is also related to the big moments, the moments where something happens. And it's also related again to the watch because these external values of, a watch are very often as important as the internal one. What I want to say is that yes, time is ticking and our watch are so precise, are incredible technology for creating this very precise way of counting time. But yes, on the other side, time is also kind of a witness of the evolution of your life, of what you feel at that moment, And I think that this is exactly why also time is precious because it's um, something you will remember a date, an hour, a year, forever. Also, thanks to the fact that you have the watch on your wrist. So I love time because of this precision, but I also love time because it's a sign of of moments in your life uh, that are happening. And um, for that point of view, I think it's quite of a unique industry we are in. And I'm, I'm, I'm very touched by, by this point because we are bringing beauty to time. We are measuring time at the Olympic Games, but we are also creating this link because of the watch between the community, between yourself and your life.
1: That's kind of like understanding the watch as a a totem or a memento Mm -hmm. of moments in time that have significance to you. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So not many people get to open up the back of a complex watch, complex machine. uh, And you point out watch pieces are these really amazing, precise and complex, but in the end, simple machines. And the only machines in our everyday life that run 24-7, 365. What do you think is the thing that would most astonish our listeners if they had a chance to go to your factory and meet with your watchmakers and, and understand more about what is in this watch case and how does it work? What do you think would surprise them most? The thing they couldn't begin to imagine that is just a marvel.
0: I think there are two, two aspects. First of all, I think, nevertheless, you know, we are talking about a manufacturer at Omega headquarters, and you visited it. So something which is incredibly interesting, and we have to mention it again and again, that man- word manufacturer, we're talking about man, the hands. So you will see lots of young and a bit less young people working on each and every uh, of our watch and creating this incredible fact that once we close the case, that watch, and believe me, we get watches that have been sold 1910, 1920, and they're still functioning very well, more than almost 100 years later.
1: More than Uh, any human who came in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they were well serviced. So that's one of the things I always insist, is very much of the passion and the technology and the dedication of all these watchmakers to having on a daily basis 3,000 watches that we are uh, creating at the Omega headquarters. So it's one thing that is very important. There is this very precise way of putting in place, creating, mounting, assembling all the watches that are going everywhere in the world. Because once they're being closed, that's very clearly that they will not be touched until the first service, which is which very is more. No fixing, nothing being done on a local base. That's one of the parts. The second, or, or the second part is all the investment that we've done so far for creating the best precision the first day, but also over time, the best precision in the new world. I want to talk about the master chronometer certification that we just implemented. These are all values that, Everybody should know about it is like the test that we're doing on a 15,000 Gauss level for the watches, for the movements, so that, you know, it's very important that, yes, the watch is precise, but the values of technologies, the values of sometimes two, three, four years of evolution for one single small part of the movement that you have within this watch will bring you for the next generation of precision that is on the highest level. That's something that it's sometimes hard to explain on the advertising, but it's so much of our tradition, our DNA. We are also dedicated to creating the best quality, not only for now, but also for the next generation. And this is something that I'm very proud of because this has all the people being in the research and development departments and creating The best value for a watch that is being bought by people that may not even see that after so many years the quality will be so high that the watch will still be precision for a very long time and running and as you say for most of the watches on a daily base monthly base yearly base without any interruption and um, that's good so
1: what surprised me most in the tour that you gave to me at the factory was the point you raised about being resistant to Gauss, being resistant to magnetic fields. And I'm a scientist. I hadn't even thought about this, but you did this great demonstration with a watch, two watches open and bringing a magnet near mm-hmm. one in a test rig. Yes. And the the fact that a magnet getting too close to a watch actually changed the rate that it keeps time. So it would, I mean, even simple magnets like we have in our everyday life, I don't mean gigantic magnets necessarily, but that such an exposure could make your watch start to drift and not be so precise and that you've needed to engineer the watches so that they resist all that and they carry on keeping good time. But I'd never, I mean, it was amazing to watch this watch movement like change. Oh wait, there's a magnetic field, slow down. It was really quite crazy. That was very fun. So you, Rengel, also are, of course, a leader of a very large group of people and a large enterprise. And uh, as you've pointed out, of all all the attributes, all the qualities, all the values that make people, make customers think and feel a certain way when they see an Omega Watch or hear an Omega Watch. I wonder, how do you think about leadership? What would you describe as your leadership style? And, and maybe the test case to me always is to ask leaders, you know, how, do they, how do they make decisions?
0: It's a big question. I mean, I think that's a part you cannot learn, but that part you need to start with great basis. In another word, I think that you can very much learn how to be a leader and I, I learned it and I'm, it's, it's an ongoing learning curve. But you have to base your behavior on some of the bases that are to me the most important. What I want to say is that, you know, especially now during the pandemic, you see that you cannot create agile structure of management, agile vision within a day, because now you cannot travel anymore, or because the people cannot see you anymore. You cannot suddenly start to care about people that are far away if you've not done it because your management style was very centralistic and very ego-oriented. Uh, so it's, it's quite of an interesting world now today. And I always try to make it as I you know, did on many, many levels, including in my military time where I was a, an officer in the telecommunications and I had to give some trust To my friends that were sitting on the other side of the valet at the moment i wanted to talk to them by radio because if they would not answer there would be nevertheless no matter no possibilities for me to force or to control them i believe in first in the values of every single manager that have to share with his employees i call it the way to show that your manager In facts and not only in talks, I also believe about trusting, delegation, and care, which for me is key into any people I would be inspired by. Also, because I truly believe that in a company like us that still have 1,500 people working at the head factory, but about two times more spread around the world into some of our stores, we have 150 owned stores in the world where customers come in and are being greeted by some of the employees on behalf of me, on behalf of the management. There is a lot of guideline that you can give, but there's also a lot of spirit that you can have to embody first, but also afterwards to trust with inspiration and with substance. So for me, the way we work, and it's a way where the roles are very precise because they need to be everybody in its own role. The culture must be about team, about bringing with vision every single project to the highest level within this vision, and then the trust on both sides about putting in place the strategy and the decision that has been taken with passion, motivation. emotion are important, but are, cannot be the only base of any management, because only with emotion, you can't manage strategical vision on the best way, because there will always be, at some point of time, a moment where exactly the contrary would happen, where your emotion will take over about yeah. the vision. And I think it's a way that you cannot be only scientist, but you cannot only be emotional. You have to put in a structure, a very clear raster of space where everything is factual to let then afterwards, of course, the emotion come. But I would go nevertheless for inspiration trust and finally also passion
1: yeah so we're coming close to time and i have to ask you this question you're you have the great good fortune of being able to change watches as many times as you want or have as many of them as you wish at home uh, which most people don't do so i'm wondering. This is a terrible question. This is asking you to choose which of your children you love best, but do you have a favorite watch? and is is it one you wear most often or is there sort of a a favorite mm-hmm. that is your precious icon that's kept a little safer and you wear a little something different for your everyday? and And Mr. Hayek, I know, wore sometimes six watches yes. at a time. Do you do that? I,
0: I remember very well Mr. Hayek wearing six watches and he was very famous for it. But I also remember very well that he was wearing some of them always because that, ah, that were their favorite watches. And I have to say that, uh, that for me, as you said, it's like choosing any of my children. But there are some watches that, are, that mean a lot for me. I said few watches. One being obviously the moon watch. Because I remember the first day at Omega. I remember very well, visited the old museum. It was a day on a Friday because it was a Friday at three o'clock. There was not so much for me to be done at that day. And they said, Go to the museum, we'll, we'll take you in, in an hour. Enjoy the visit. And I was standing in front of this moonwatch, reading carefully every single line of every document about not only this incredible conquest of the space, um, this moment, but also about that moment where I read that the Speedmaster went to the moon, not of having been watches that were prepared, tuned, adapted. Just off the shelf. Just off the shelf. Yeah. Tested by Jim Ragan and the whole team and given as an instrument and not as a gimmick to these people that made a revolution into humanity for many aspects that we talked about. So I remember that moment very clearly. And I said, wow, this is not only a beautiful watch because I always loved black dials and I'm wearing now a black watch, but I, very much kind of a started a profound admiration for this Speedmaster. So I have one, which is one that makes even more sense because it's the reedition of the caliber 321, the watch that is the first, you know, which which was on the moon, and we could do it thanks to the to the group. So that's probably one of my favorite, and I have to admit that I bought it myself because. That's something that, in any case, I want my son or anybody in the family to take over.
1: Yeah. Have you ever gotten to wear the moonwatch, put it on your own wrist?
0: Never, never.
1: Ah, <laughs> that would be a treat.
0: That would be, we have, a, and we, we keep it on a very, 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 very safe, and we did not even open it. Uh, we have one, and, and we are very, very cautious about it, and I would not dare to. <laughs> To touch it, it's also for me. That is very important. I have another one that I used to wear, which is a watch that I've given to uh, one of my best friends. And uh, while he was uh, going through his cancer, and uh, when he wow. gave it back to me, he said, "I wore it every single second. Sometimes time was ticking very slow, and sometimes mm. times like now is incredible." So uh, that's one of this watch where I wear it. Believe me or not, I am feeling like being a superman and that shows also also how much power a watch has if it's well worn if that if it has a history and uh you see these are two watches that that means a lot for me but uh i also understand that uh it's it's personal and i very hope very often change watches but not as often as people might think because i always Want to have something that is linked to the watch I wear, and not just because it's the company I have the honor to lead.
1: Yeah, I, f- I feel just the same way. I've got, I do have more than one watch, but I favor the ones that have particular stories behind them. So, Renaud, one of my very favorite watch stories is, is something I, I wonder if you know, and that's the story of efforts by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California. To create a watch that kept Mars time. So this is back when they had just landed the first rovers on Mars. And the schedule for driving the rovers around was always tied, it was always synchronized to when it would be 12 noon, sun straight overhead on Mars. And that you could always you can make your Earth watch do that once. That's easy. You set it for noon when you know it's noon on Mars and off you go. But a day on Mars is not the same length as a day on earth and they wanted their controllers to be able to see earth time on one hand and know you know when noon was coming up on mars no matter where they were did you ever hear that story
0: i never heard that story but i know very well that this is a this is a challenge and uh, I'm, i'm looking forward to hear from you about it because we have also great news to come yes
1: yeah so what intrigued me about this story i was I know a lot of the people the Jet Propulsion Laboratory was there when Mm -hmm. it was opportunity landed first. And, you know, so this is the 1990s and they figured, oh, this will surely be a cinch, right? We have digital watches, digital devices are things you can program to do what you want or tell you what you want. So no problem. We'll just program the watches to do digital. And they went off and talked to some of the digital companies. I don't know which one. And they discovered actually it could not be done with a digital watch because the computer chips inside the watches are built en masse in huge numbers and they're built entirely for earthlings so they can only beat at the cadence that makes an earth day and a day on mars is 40 minutes longer than an earth day so interesting it fascinated me that they ended up having to go to a master watchmaker in Pasadena, California, and ask if he could do it since the digital geeks couldn't, and he of course said, "Oh yeah, oh you know," took a self-winding watch, an automatic watch, and adjusted. I'm sure he adjusted the mass of the mainspring that rocks back and forth, so that you know the heartbeat of the Mars watch was perfectly set, so that the hour hand would go around once in just what would be 12 hours on the day of Mars. I heard about that and thought, I was a young astronaut at the time, I think I had just flown my first flight. I thought, oh man, you know, every astronaut's gonna have a Mars watch. And so somewhere in my safe deposit box, I have one of these first ever mechanical Mars watches. Mars is on the face, you know, a little image of Mars. But it turns out it's actually really hard to keep it set to Mars if you are an Earthling, because it needs to be on your wrist, always winding. And unless you've got a clock on your wall that tells you the time on Mars, you, know, you, you wouldn't know what to set it to. So that is the story. It, it's not an Omega watch, but if you ever fascinated to have one of these in your collection, I'd be happy to give you mine. But you said you've got some news coming from Omega. Is Omega heading to Mars? Of course.
0: <laughs> it's our legacy, and you know very well will be there. And the most incredible, the most incredible project that is there is to have not only Mars time, you should have Earth time at the same time, or maybe even more times, which would make it into a space watch. And I think that there is only one brand to do that.
1: You could be the first interplanetary watch. Exactly. That would be brilliant. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to KathysullivanExplores.com. This
0: podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute, New episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and most everywhere podcasts are found. To be the first to know when the next episode drops,
1: head over to interastra.space.